Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We knew there was some flooding up here. Just weren't quite expecting what we're seeing here. BC Flood Watch, the interior communities on high alert as water levels keep on rising. I certainly wouldn't want it to have been on a vessel in that situation. The search for boaters who risked crashing into a sea bus. I've got to make this really great. And the countdown is on for the royal wedding. New details coming out about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's big day, which is only a week away. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Well, this is an aerial view of Grand Forks, where floodwaters may have started to recede, but homeowners there are still assessing the damage that has been caused by this week's flooding. People in other interior communities still watching as well as water levels at local rivers and creeks. Uh, they just keep on climbing. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, let's get you the latest on that flooding situation across parts of BC. And we start with a Soyuz tonight where the lake levels are still rising. Our Paul Haysom is there for us this evening. Uh, Paul, what is going on there right now? Well, Sonia, a Soyuz Lake holding steady. It is very high right now. In fact, we're in a Soyuz Lake Park right now. Scratch off the park. This is just part of a Soyuz Lake. 13 or 69 properties remain under evacuation in this area, including the popular Coast Hotel. Now, the fear is that things are going to get really warm here in the next couple of days. That means more melting snow, that means more water, and that means more flooding. They're flooded out. They are, they are, they are, they are. That's a, a trailer court where the people own everything, and they're all under. Jeff Tigg normally has a lakefront view. Right now... It's 360 degrees. <laughs> Doing all he can to fight the floodwaters, Tig, like so many others, is in tough. I thought, what's the chance of having water down there? There's no way. <laughs> I go down there this morning and <laughs> I'm up to my ankles and I'm going, oh God. <laughs> Along Lakeshore Drive, crews are building temporary dams as the lake creeps closer to the high water mark set in 1972, a record no one wants to see broken. You know, we've kayaked through here before and lovely homes and these dream homes, I think, are turning into a bit of a nightmare for some people. Doggy paddle taking on a whole new meaning at this home. Shelly Harris lives in Alberta, but when she saw those waters rising, she packed up the car to come help her parents. If it breaches the sandbags right now, gets into the house, you know, my parents are kind of like, well, whatever, it is what it is, you can't stop it, so you just deal with it the best you can and then move on. But just up the hill, a full 180. The Saturday market and local businesses going strong. Officials reminding everyone that Asoyas is still open for business. The wineries are all open. Wine tour operators are ready to go. Uh, the golf courses are open and in great shape. The weather's supposed to be phenomenal. Uh, unfortunately, there just won't be a lot of beach uh, to lay around on. We have a beautiful view of lakefront water. But for Jeff Tigg and so many who call this resort town home, 
It is hardly business as usual. Now, Soyuz, the town, will be holding an emergency meeting tonight at 6.30. A lot of people hoping for some answers at that. We will go to that. We will provide any of those answers and questions that come up at that event. Now, the, about 5,000 people call a Soyuz home full-time. 40,000 over the summer months, although that is not the flood they're worried about because in the next couple of days, this lake is expected to crest. Sonia? All right, Paul, thanks very much for bringing us up to date uh, with what's going on out there in Osoyoos. Thank you. Uh, let's uh, go to Grand Forks now. The water there has started to recede, but it is the devastation that's been left behind that is now clear to see. Residents now trying to salvage what they can after what has been the worst flooding the city has seen in seven decades. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. The water is going down in Grand Forks. The river's down considerably even from yesterday, but this flood is not over. Thousands of people are still out of their homes. The devastation is hard to come to terms with. Vehicles and debris strewn across this Grand Forks neighborhood. The retreating water only makes the damage look worse. Homeowners at a loss to see their lives underwater. When you see your house like this, what do you think? Downtown, the water is gone from the street, but not from inside businesses. Well, it's just below my knee. Basements and crawl spaces are full. Pumps have been running here, some for 48 hours straight. Business owners on one side of the street, there is no reason to pump. The damage is done. Water has buckled floors, and thousands of dollars in product is lost. The worry now? What happens next? You know, it's just devastating to see this whole after working, you know, all your life and working every day at a business to try and keep it somewhat successful and but we'll rebuild. There have been no fatalities caused by this flood, but the fire chief says some people have been reckless with their behavior. More than 30 people have needed rescuing from the water. Uh, people, people in cars, people in houses, uh, people on the river. Um, we did one yesterday, a guy on a log in the river that we managed to get and had a happy ending, which we're pretty happy about. The priority now for the regional district is to get people back in their homes. 3,000 people are still on evacuation order, but many homes never saw any damage at all. The concern is service. Power had been turned off and parts of the community have no gas. The flood of a century happened is what happened. The rivers still have teeth, debris flowing fast and heavy downstream. The situation might be calmer today, but by no means are the residents of Grand Forks out of the woods. Do not remove your sandbags. Uh, if anything, reinforce your sandbags. We are going to get some more high water. Um, we're still trying to determine how much we're going to get, but uh, it looks fairly serious. Nobody is taking any chances with their sandbags. Many businesses reinforcing them today. River modeling suggests another peak is coming, perhaps on Wednesday. It won't be as high as the crest we saw this week, but it will be above flood stage. Aaron, thank you very much for that from Grand Forks uh, tonight.
Uh, also warnings about a fake GoFundMe page that's been set up apparently for flood victims in the Kootenay Boundary region. The group Community Futures Boundary is telling people not to donate. They say it's a fraudulent page. It looks like it's sponsored by CF Boundary, but the group is saying that that information is not true. They're now trying to have the campaign removed. Let's now take you to North Okanagan, where people in parts of Armstrong and Salmon Arm are also now dealing with flooding. Global Okanagan's Jules Knox has that part of the story. Here is the water down here, all in the basement. Uh, Kim Butler is fighting her battle with water one inch at a time. New to the neighborhood in Armstrong, she was surprised to get an evacuation alert. I was actually pretty stunned. I thought, oh my God, is it really that? bad out there, but you look everywhere else, it's all over the place. She's frustrated her flooding can't even be sandbagged. Groundwater is seeping into her home. There's nothing you can do about it. It's impossible to deal with. Neighbors battling the same problems. I put a sump pump in, but it still comes. It still creeps in. Yeah, it just can't keep up. In Salmon Arm, the water is at the bottom of this bridge and crews are on standby to clear any debris that comes sweeping down the river. The debris's been coming down patchy and usually it all comes down in the first go, right? So it hasn't been that bad the last couple of days. Water's been consistently going down for two days now. Land flooded out, basements turned to rubbish. These yards waiting for drier days. With all of these hot days coming and seeing how much snow we still do have up on the mountain, everyone's kind of holding their breath. And that includes Butler. She's bracing for more water. It's going to be horrific when the temperatures are really hot and it's climbing. Jules Knox, Global News, Armstrong. Yeah, and it's residents like that that are talking about more water. A lot of people will be looking at the forecast ahead with temperatures, of course, rising. Uh, that's a good time to bring in our Yvonne Schaal, who's keeping an eye on uh, things for us uh, on that front. Yvonne? Yes, Sonia, uh, the forecast not pro- uh, providing much of a reprieve. Temperatures will be on the rise, even hotter for the interior sections as we look ahead towards next week. Here's the upper level chart. We're showing us the ridge that's building in very strong. Most areas across the coast will see the peak of the temperatures Sunday and leading in towards Monday. Interior for the central half of the province to, ta- to round off the weekend, though, we're still in the upper 20s. Most areas for the southern interior will see those temperatures into the mid and upper 20s with a few spots over 30 degrees. And that's likely as we get in towards our Monday, Tuesday. Thompson Okanagan wanted to show you the temperature trend. So Monday, Tuesday, some of the hottest days, a bit of a reprieve will come once again on our Thursday. And the following area is a snapshot from the BC River Forecast Centre. For the warning, boundaries included within that. For the flood watch, we can see the Nchako River, the Samilkaming River, as well as the Central Interior. I'll have more on the temperatures and what we can anticipate and your Mother's Day forecast coming up shortly. Sonia? All right, thanks very much. We'll see you a bit later. I want to talk now about the Fraser Valley. That's also a really big concern. The Fraser River, that is expected to rise near record levels, basically meaning that low-lying areas could well be underwater by next week. Our Julia Foy has been in Chilliwack, gauging how people living close to the water there are feeling. It can be scary when uh, things are happening like they are this year. 85-year-old John Wiggum has lived in Chilliwack near the Fraser River his whole life. It's just starting to come up now, actually. Water levels in the Fraser River have been rising, and they're expected to peak next weekend. Government officials warn we could face a flood risk as high as the one in 1948. In 48, our place started to flood in uh, the 24th of May. 
but then it stayed up for so long that the seepage inside the dike was almost as bad as what was going on outside. So The Both family farm looks serene, but it's been flooded out before. In 2012, they had to build a berm around their house to keep the rising waters out. Today, a stack of sandbags are waiting to be filled. So we're just waiting. Any time now, we're going to be sandbagging around. <laughs> kind of scary, but cool at the same time. Local farmers built this berm along the edge of the river to try and protect their fields, but it's already getting saturated. It's already starting to crack a little bit. Basically, if this floods, then um, they would have no feed for their cows and no crop for this year. Looking upstream, the Fraser River is already flooding in Prince George, and all that water will reach the Fraser Valley in the coming week. John Wiggum has seen it all before. I think it's got to come up another two or three feet before it gets real serious, but that can happen overnight pretty much too, I guess. Julia Foy, Global News. Now, new details tonight about the man at the centre of an embarrassing invitation during Prime Minister Trudeau's trip to India. It turns out Jaspal Atwal was arrested last month. Court records showing Atwal was charged with ushering threats to cause death or bodily harm in connection with an alleged incident on April 23rd in Surrey. He was released on a $1,000 bail and is due in court later this month. Atwal was convicted of attempted murder for a failed 1986 assassination attempt on an Indian politician visiting B.C., in February, he had to, in, sorry, in February, he attended a function on Trudeau's, in, uh, Trudeau's India trip, posing with the Prime Minister's wife, before securing an invite to a dinner. Uh, the Prime Minister was then set to attend. That invitation rescinded after media pointed out who Atwell was. The VPD's Marine Unit is trying to track down the operators of a powerboat which played chicken with a sea bus full of passengers in Vancouver Harbour last weekend. Jill Bennett explains what happened during that close call and who police are now looking for. This type of style, but twin engines, twin outboards, and about uh, 10 feet bigger. The Vancouver Police Marine Unit is looking for the operators of a boat after a near collision with a sea bus in Burrard Inlet last weekend. The skipper of the sea bus did an emergency stop, which then allowed that approaching pleasure craft to cross its bow in what the skipper estimated to be approximately 30 feet. The incident was captured on Port of Vancouver cameras. At 12.53 p.m. on May 5th, the smaller sport fishing boat almost crosses the path of the Burrard Otter II. What's unclear is if the operator of the smaller boat, which should have given way to the sea bus, did it intentionally. I'm looking at it as that it was just they were unaware and they're situa- they'd lost situational awareness. I certainly couldn't jump to that conclusion. And our deep-sea terminals are able to accommodate the largest ships on the oceans today. The port of Vancouver is busy, especially on a sunny weekend. In this case, the sea bus was carrying 205 passengers and crew, and it's believed the smaller boat was going about 55 kilometers an hour. I really can't hypothesize on what the, you know, what the outcome of that would have been. I certainly wouldn't want to want to have been on on uh, a vessel in that situation. It's everyone's responsibility to uh, 
avoid a collision. Police say there were two men and a woman on the white sportfish-style boat with twin black outboards similar to this one. They're asking for anyone who saw the near collision from either the water or the sea bus to contact them. Jill Bennett, Global News. Welcome back. Well, conservation officers in Prince George are investigating after a black bear was shot with an arrow. The bear was out roaming in a neighborhood near Central Heart Estates when it was found injured yesterday morning. The arrow still stuck in its body. Bow hunting is not illegal within Prince George city limits, but the person who fired the arrow could be facing charges, including causing undue suffering to an animal. The wounded wandering bear was a public safety risk. Conservation officers had to put it down. Unfortunately, because it was still injured and still in the uh, in the residential area, the, we were essentially forced to put it down. We there wasn't any more options that we had. And there's also a lot of anger in central Alberta over what happened to an orphaned grizzly bear there. A woman rescued the cub earlier this week and says she followed all the rules in order to give it a second chance. But as Global's Blake Law reports, the bear ended up being euthanized. This video was taken Tuesday night, shortly after the grizzly bear cub was taken from under a bridge near Grand Cache. Well, I'm a born and raised rancher. We've raised and looked after all of our own livestock. Brandy Ginger had been monitoring the cub for five days, hoping that a mother bear would come to collect it, but it never came. The cub was starving, so Ginger took it home and called multiple wildlife rehab centers to make sure she was giving the cub the best shot at survival. We did as, as we were guided to by giving him some goat's milk to see if he would eat it, and he did. He was very, very hungry. One rehabilitation facility was willing to take the grizzly cub on Thursday, but only with the cooperation of a conservation officer. When Alberta Fish and Wildlife found out Ginger had a bear, they said they needed to take it. I was very reluctant, as I had done enough research and talked to enough specialists on Wednesday and knew that the cub was not safe from them. Since 2010, it's been illegal in Alberta to rescue and rehabilitate orphaned cubs. Friday morning, the cub, nicknamed Groot, was euthanized. A statement from Alberta Environment says the bear was emaciated, dehydrated, lethargic, and near death, and specialists did not believe it would survive. This was a very sad situation, but unfortunately, officials felt the most humane thing to do was to limit the animal's suffering. Ginger disagrees, though, and says the officer didn't give the cub a chance, especially when a rehabilitation facility was ready to take it in. This conservation biologist says the current policy is archaic and needs to be changed. We didn't have the ban prior to 2010. There's absolutely no reason to have the ban in the first place. They can just lift it and then get the protocols in place so that if an individual like this grizzly bear cub um, needs help, then it can be helped. Just last month, the government announced it would reverse that policy, but just for black bears. Back in Grand Cash, Ginger says she wishes she could rewind the clock. Um, I don't. I wouldn't do it again. I would take him to the rescue. I, wouldn't, I would not hand him over. I knew that handing him over was signing his death warrant. Blake Law, Global News. Now, it's been more than a decade since a house fire in Victoria devastated two families. Two young women were killed in that fire. Today, their memories are still being honoured in order to help burn victims. Here's Nadia Stewart. It is a special weekend for a friend and sister. 
this, I think she would have loved everybody, all of her friends playing a sport that she loved. The beautiful game played in honor of a beautiful girl. Remembering her every year uh, in a really, really fun and loving way. Fun and loving, two words used to describe Brenna Innes. 2018 marks 11 years since her tragic death. It was August 2007. A fire broke out in this Victoria duplex just after four in the morning. Five University of Victoria students made it out alive, but Brenna Innes and Chelsea Elizabeth Robinson died. The Innes family turning their grief into action. Holding an annual charity soccer tournament to raise money for the BC Burn Fund. It started out small. And it got way bigger than we could have ever imagined. Um, and we've started to fundraise more and more. And um, as of today, at least, we've raised over $70,000 for the BC Burn Fund. So to help people that have been affected by fires. The organization was able to open the Burn Fund Centre in Vancouver just two years ago. A huge milestone made possible thanks to the generous donations of many, including those here, who will continue to honour the memory of their beloved Brenna one soccer game at a time. Nadia Stork, Global News. All right, let's look ahead now to what's happening uh, a bit later on. We've got Barry and Yvonne mm -hmm. here, of course. We'll start with Yvonne because a lot of people, um, for all sorts of different reasons across the province, are looking at the forecast today. It is hot, hot, hot. Uh, temperatures on the rise. We showed you at the top of the show uh, with some of the peak temperatures really leading uh, Sunday into Monday and then Monday into Tuesday for the interior. Here's a look at our current temperatures and what we're seeing right now. Many spots closer to the water. It is a touch cooler. Interior section still sitting at 26 degrees for Kamloops, 23 for Prince George and Bella Coola at 24. So I'll have more in the latter half of weekend. Mother's Day for tomorrow if you've got plans to be outdoors. And we'll look ahead towards next week and how long the heat will last. Yeah, how, how can you not be outdoors, right? <laughs> it's so beautiful out there right now. And in sport... That's right. uh, well, we'll you could go inside to watch the hockey games, <laughs> right, I suppose, to, cool off, to like a point. Well. Although in yeah. Winnipeg, kind of like it was in Vancouver in our cup run many years ago, mm -hmm. uh, thousands and thousands of fans watching the game in the street because the Jets are up 4-2 after 2 against Vegas in Game 1. So we'll show you highlights of that and uh, also a look back at the Whitecaps mm -hmm. who had to score literally uh, in the last second of the game yesterday to get a point against Houston. So oh. that could turn out to be very helpful uh, at the end of the year. Oh, it makes me happy. I yes. love the Whitecaps. Welcome back. Well, the so-called Islamic State has claimed the suspect in a deadly knife attack in Paris was one of their soldiers. The fatal attack happened in the second district of the French capital. Authorities say the man wielding a knife killed one person and injured four others before being killed by police. North Korea is planning to invite media to watch it dismantle its nuclear test site. Journalists from the U.S., South Korea, the U.K., China and Russia all been invited to watch the testing ground be destroyed by an explosion which will happen on May the 23rd. It's been seen as a symbolic event and also a precursor to Kim Jong-un's historic summit with U.S. President Donald Trump. That's going to happen in Singapore next month. Hawaii Volcanoes National Park has been closed indefinitely to visitors because of the threat of ongoing eruptions. Geologists warning the Kilauea volcano's most explosive blast could still be on the horizon as hot lava is draining into cooler water in the ground. A catastrophic steam explosion could launch boulders the size of cars into the air. People living there trying to protect themselves against toxic gases, but the stores there running out of supplies. Now, he's been called the breakdancing bandit. Security video of a burglary in California showing the suspect dancing after successfully breaking into a business. 
Police arrested him for stealing a laptop from a locked office in a commercial building in Fresno County. Not quite clear how he got the keys to get inside. In health matters tonight, not sure how much you watch what you eat, but a new University of Alberta study looked at the financial burden of eating harmful things like processed meat and sugary foods. Its conclusion that poor food choices cost the healthcare system $13.8 billion a year. That is because of people having to go and stay in the hospital, trips to the doctor, medication and short and long-term disability. Not eating enough uh, whole grains and not eating enough nuts and seeds were the, were the biggest drivers. And that was responsible for almost half of those costs. Um, but we also found, too, that not eating enough vegetables and fruit and on the flip side, also eating too much processed meat were also uh, large contributors. Researchers say that even the smallest changes can make a difference, like adding some nuts and seeds to your diet or swapping out a hot dog for a chicken breast. Also warnings about so-called third-hand smoke tonight. Researchers at Drexel University in Philadelphia found that chemicals from cigarettes may be lurking in rooms where no one has ever smoked. They discovered nearly 30% of air particles in empty smoke-free classroom were linked to cigarette smoke. The way they explain it, toxins that linger on clothing and furniture can enter and spread around buildings through ventilation systems. That can be dangerous for people with asthma and other breathing problems. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, I hope you caught a lot of the sunshine today. I bet it's still quite warm out there right now as well, Yvonne. Yes, it's very warm depending on where you are across Metro Vancouver, but it's spectacular. We've got plenty of sunshine for our Mother's Day long weekend. Here's a quick glance of what it looked like earlier today uh, for areas uh, near Stanley Park if you're along the seawall. Closer to the water, highs were at 19 today, and then the closer inland or away from the water today was up to 26 degrees for a few areas, but fantastic overlooking the Lionsgate Bridge there. Uh, tomorrow we'll see a very similar weather picture if you're hoping to get out and about with mum. Here's a glance once again at our tower cam shot overlooking the North Shore Mountains. 18 as a current temperature out of the airport. A northwesterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. We're above our average for this time of the year that sits at 16. A few other numbers and highs across the province today with Kamloops up to 28. Revelstoke at 27. Trail 26. The Peace at 23 degrees. Prince Rupert along the coast at 15. And for Victoria Day with the high 23. Current temperatures for Coquitlam, Burnaby at 24. Pitt Meadows still sitting at 25 degrees. Langley with your current temperature at 27. Chilliwack at 24. And for Cultus Lake at 23. Williams Lake still into the low 20s, 22. And Quinell with your current temperature at 25. The ridge of high pressure, that's the dominant feature that's giving us the sunshine, dry conditions. It continues to strengthen for the latter half of our weekend and leading in towards next week. Upper level chart once again. We'll see the peak of it Sunday, Monday across the south coast and Monday, Tuesday for the interior and the sunshine going to last all the way in towards next week. We do have a bit of cloud cover on our Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's where we'll start to see a slight reprieve for the south coast. The peace at 21 degrees tomorrow, northeasterly wind at 20 
kilometers per hour. Even warmer for your Monday, climbing up to 27. Whitehorse, we could still see some showers. It'll just be for the morning hours, much drier for the afternoon. The winds will ramp up tomorrow with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. Coastal sections tomorrow at 16 degrees, but it's overnight. There's a slight chance to see an isolated shower. It'll clear out quite quickly with dry conditions once again on Monday and leading into Tuesday. Caribou in Central Interior, 24 degrees. Hotter on Monday with a high of 28. Columbia and Kootenai region will see those temperatures increasing Tuesday with a high of 30 degrees, well above your average that sits at 20. Thompson, Okanagan, temperatures Monday, Tuesday into the 30s. Most areas near Whistler tomorrow seeing that range between 28. Pemberton will be closer to 31 degrees. And along the island, we'll see at 19 if you're closer to the water. Victoria will be sitting at 24 degrees. Inland for areas near Port Alberni, tomorrow up to 31 degrees. Mother's Day forecast for Metro Vancouver. If you're by the water, it'll be at 23. Inland up to 29 degrees. For our Monday, still another hot day. And then it's Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll have a few clouds in the mix. A bit of a reprieve with our temperatures, but still remaining dry in our five-day forecast. Sonia? Yeah, from mothers everywhere. They're saying thank you for that. Thanks very much, everyone. Uh, Now to a story on the dog that has just joined the BC Conservation Service. His job is to sniff out mussels. Here's Kylie Stanton. Clean, drain, and dry. It's that simple. Every boat, whether you're a kayak, big boat, small boat. Invasive zebra and quagua mussels can and will attach to anything and often go undetected. But now the B.C. government is stepping up its efforts and funding to stop them before they have a chance to threaten our waterways. Were we to have an outbreak of these invasive mussels, the damage to our sensitive ecosystems, to the usage of lakes and to the economy of British Columbia would be devastating. We're doing something right here in B.C., and we want to keep it that way. This particular species can filter up to a litre of fresh water per day, removing nutrients while competing with native species for food and resources. But it's when they attach onto solid surfaces, like hydropower systems, that creates a major cause for concern. Because they can attach onto um, infrastructure and essentially clog pipes and overtake these systems and have significant damage to those infrastructure. And so, as part of BC's Invasive Muscle Defence Program, the province has 12 inspection stations located at key entry points to determine whether vessels are at high risk of transporting the species. The Conservation Officer Service is leading the enforcement operations, backed by 64 trained auxiliary officers, as well as Kilo, who will soon be joined by K-9 Major, trained to sniff out contaminated watercraft. There is a potential for a fine of uh, $230. Failing to stop at the uh, inspection stations, there's a fine of $345. And you could also have your boat uh, quarantined and uh, seized for 30 days. One infestation could ruin a lake and cost the tourism industry tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. A big price to pay for such a small creature. We'll be cracking down hard. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, lots of, uh, is it fair to say, lots of excitement still about the NHL? Oh, in Winnipeg, they're going crazy. They've never been this far ever before in the NHL. Of course, Mm -hmm. they they won back in the old WHA days, but that was the league that was around before you were even around. Really? Are you sure? In the early 70s. Oh. You're just a kid.
Yeah. All right, let's, let's get going. Thanks, Sonia. The Winnipeg Jets and Vegas Golden Knights are the two newest teams in the NHL, and both are perfect examples of how today's NHL is going. Incredibly fast, high-pressure hockey. It's very exciting to watch, and it's a matchup that probably favors the Jets, who are trying to become the first Canadian-based team to win the Stanley Cup in 25 years. Game one of the Western Conference Final on right now in Winnipeg. And as you can imagine, they are pumped up in the peg. Louder than ever in that building, if you can believe it. 65 seconds in, Blake Wheeler back on defense, intercepts the pass, and then drops it to Big Buff, and Dustin Bufflin just powders it past Marc-Andre Fleury, 1-0 Jets. And then on the power play, Wheeler with a perfect seam pass to Patrick Lyonnais, who fires home his fourth of the playoffs. Had just one goal against Nashville. This is a good sign if he starts heating up. 2-0 Jets, and they weren't done yet. The centering pass will go in off Joel Armia's skate. Initially waved off for goaltender interference. Bit of a bump there on Flurry, but was the puck kind of going in anyway? The Jets challenged, and it was a good challenge because they ruled it was not interference. 3-0. What a start, but Vegas did answer right back. Braden McNabb made it 3-1. And this game, also a physical toll. How about Ryan Reeves sending Blake Wheeler into the Vegas bench? He eventually got out. Second period, Jets on the power play. Bufflin with the shot. And Mark Scheifele, what a playoff he's had. Really turning into one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL. That's his 12th. That leads all scorers 4-1. But late on the power play, so shot redirected by William Carlson. So it's 4-2 right now midway through the third. But now a legitimate matchup, and it looked like Canada just wasn't ready to play a top-notch team. Mark Edward Vlasic copped it up, and then the centering pass by Miko Rantanen is deflected in by Braden Shen past his own goalie, Curtis Macalanisa, 1-0 Finns. Canada got it back. Bo Horvat sent it over to Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and the Ottawa Senators uh, forward slaps it in, actually off a Finnish defenseman, so friendly fire both ways, tied at one. Canada had a lot of penalty problems, and it cost them on the power play. The redirection in front by Yanni Pessinen makes it 2-1, to one. and then on another power play, the Finns go down low, and it's Rantanen again. McElhinney had fallen down on the play. He did not look very good today. He got pulled in favor of Darcy Kemper. 3-1 Finns after two. Still 3-1 in the third. And Kemper gives it away. And it's a goal here for Ellie Tolvanen. 5-1 the final. Canada's record drops to 3-1-1. They play Latvia next on Tuesday. It's day one of the RBC Cup, the National Junior A Championship Tournament being held in Chilliwack. The host Chiefs play their first game tonight against the BCHL champion Wenatchee Wild. That starts at 7. Earlier in an all-Ontario matchup, Ottawa beat Wellington 2-1 in overtime. Meanwhile, HSBC Women's Rugby from Langford, Team Canada, went 2-1 today, so they will play on the championship side. They dropped their opener to number 2-ranked Australia. Canada is ranked 3rd in the World Series standings, but they rallied to beat Spain and then a last-second try to beat Ireland, so they will meet the USA in the quarters tomorrow morning at about 10 a.m. our time. The Whitecaps have had problems scoring goals of late, and last night it looked like their poor finish was going to cost them three points, but they did rescue one point at the very last second to give them some confidence heading forward. Taken on Houston last night, Kai Kamara leads the uh, Caps in goal scoring, but he needs some help. They surrendered the opening goal, but then got one back. 
Jose Aja somehow from that angle gets his first MLS goal. Caps have had trouble finishing. This would be a pretty good example. Breck Shea getting a little nervous there with an open net. Houston scored in the 90th minute to go up 2-1, but then Kendall Waston rescues a point with this header in the very end of stoppage time as they salvage a draw. 2-2 the final. San Jose is here on Wednesday. There was a lull in the game and bringing Effie Juarez on and Jordi Reina, who I thought was as sharp as I've seen him this season, uh, made a big difference. Uh, and we kept creating chances. The crowd got involved, which was brilliant for us. Um, and as Michael said, we had him on the ropes, but we were unable to uh, put the punch in. It's hard that we create so many chances and only score two goals. I think we deserve more, but sometimes in football it's not who deserves and who's not. But I think that at this moment we see that if we don't do things properly two times, they score. So now we just have to keep trying to be as clean as possible to don't give no team any type of chances. MLS tonight, Michael Bradley in Toronto FC visiting the New England Revolution, and uh, this one was over early. TFC not playing very sharp uh, soccer these days. Christian Pania make it 1-0 uh, in the fourth minute, then three minutes later, a horrendous giveaway by the Toronto uh, side, first by the keeper, and then that happens as Pania gets his second 3-2 the final. TFC got a couple of late goals, but it wasn't that close as Toronto is now second last in the Eastern Conference. Welcome back. Canadian teenager Denis Shapovalov burst onto the tennis scene last August at the Rogers Cup in Montreal when at the age of 18, he knocked off Rafael Nadal on his way to becoming the youngest player ever to make it to a Masters 1000 tournament semifinal. His run came to an end when he lost to young German Alex Zverev. This week in Madrid, Shapovalov has once again made it to the semifinals, now at age 19 and standing in his way of getting to the final. Alex Zverev, one more time. Shapovalov jumping up to number 29 in the world rankings, a jump of 14 spots because of his four wins this week. Dennis getting off to a solid start, serving well. Nice touch on the drop shot. On serve, up two games to one. Shapovalov with world-class ground strokes off both sides. Big forehand puts him up 4-3 in the opening set. But Zverev is playing the best tennis of his young career as well. He's only 21. He's world-ranked number three. Huge return, gets the first break, and he goes up 5-4. And then Zverev with a set point. Forehand winner, and he takes the opening set 6-4. That's a Shapovalov's mascot that's all of his matches, and there's his mom above the mascot. But they saw Zverev take over. A big backhand winner here, breaks Dennis's first two service games, goes up 3-love and cruises 6-4, 6-1. So he'll meet Dominique Thiem in the final, but a great run for Shapovalov on clay. The French Open, by the way, starts in just one week. Third round of the Players' Championship, and Tiger Woods made a huge move today. Barely made the cut at one under, but got out early and put down his best round since his comeback. Birdies his first hole, a 15-footer, then on the fifth. Bends one in from about 17 feet, four birdies in his first five holes, and another on the seventh as Tiger had six birdies on the front on his way to a 7-under 65, moved up from 69th place to ninth, and joining Tiger with the low round of the day, Jordan Spieth, who also went out early, tee shot on the signature par 3 17th, hits it to three feet, 
Spieth joins Woods at 8-under, and they will play in the same group tomorrow. You have a few people following them tomorrow at the uh, golf course, but they will have to do something extraordinary to catch Webb Simpson, who shot a course record 63 yesterday, began the day with a five-shot lead, and actually stretched it out as he stuffs it close here on the fourth. But his best shot of the day comes out of the bunker on the par 5 11th, and this is the kind of week it's been for Webb Simpson. That is perfect. It's an eagle. Simpson at 19 under as a seven-shot lead. Adam Hadwin 12 back at five under. Nick Taylor last in the field at plus six. You'll have the final round right here on Global tomorrow morning at 11. And some Blue Jays finish off the night here, taking on the Red Sox, looking for a second straight win over Boston. But in the third, Marco Estrada serves up the two-run homer to Hanley Ramirez. 3-0 Red Sox. Former Blue Jay David Price pitched a solid game. Strikes out Luke Maley here to end the fourth. In the sixth, Toronto down 4-1, but Justin Smoke will take Price deep with this shot to left. That cut it to 4-2, but that is as close as the Jays got as the Red Sox go on to win this one. 5-2, they'll play the rubber match tomorrow in Toronto. All right, only a week left until the big royal wedding, of course. Crowds already heading to Windsor Castle, where Prince Harry is going to marry American Meghan Markle next Saturday. Uh, Today, more new details from Kensington Palace. Uh, We're hearing that a senior U.S. bishop will be delivering the address at the wedding. Reverend Michael Bruce Curry is the first African-American Episcopal, oh, I can't even say that now, presiding. Episcopal. Thank you, presiding bishop. You can tell I'm not very religious. <laughs> and uh, that is not the only American flavor to the royal wedding. The lady who's making the wedding cake, it turns out, just like Meghan, she is also from the U.S. <laughs> when a member of the royal family gets married, every announcement makes news, including who's baking the wedding cake. After Prince Harry and Los Angeles native Meghan Markle selected Claire Patak, the news rippled across the pond, with Newsweek asking, who is Claire Patak? It's like a sandbox. It's like a cinnamon sandbox. (laughs) When we first met Patak in 2015, the American baker was a rising star in London. Two and a half years later, she's become baking royalty. Kensington Palace tweeted the news back in March saying Prince Harry and Ms. Markle have asked Claire to create a lemon elderflower cake that will incorporate the bright flavors of spring. My first love was baking. How did that happen? Well, my mother's a great baker, my grandmother's a great baker, mm-hmm. and where I grew up in Inverness, which is just north of San Francisco, um, it's rural, and we had wild blackberries and mm-hmm. apple trees, and so there was a lot of emphasis on baking with fruit that was in season. Patak spent three years as a pastry chef for Alice Waters at Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California. She then moved to London to be with her boyfriend, now husband. This was like, okay, I just came from something really great. I've got to make this really great. Otherwise, I'm going to be totally depressed. So she set up a stall in a weekend market in East London's Hackney neighborhood, baking everything in her home kitchen. I realized, you know, it was kind of taking over our lives. And what made you take that leap to open the bakery? I think my husband was just like, get out of the house. Like, this is not okay. She opened her bake shop, Violet, in 2010. Her unique recipes and fresh ingredients would catch the eye of London elite, like Nigella Lawson 
Jamie Oliver, and apparently a prince from London and future duchess from Hollywood. <laughs> All right, and a reminder, live coverage of the royal wedding with Dawn of Friesen starts at 2.30 a.m. next Saturday on Global BC and BC One. And if you can't get up that early, don't worry, it's going to be rebroadcast on BC One starting at 10 a.m. You um, will be up, right? Yeah, you yeah. we'll be you up. Do yeah. Not, you do not want to miss this. No, and they didn't invite us, but that's all right. We've got our very own Meghan Markle yeah. here, so it's okay. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> There'll be a lot of night owls watching this wedding, I'm sure. Thank you very much for watching. Bye. <laughs>